When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Timpsons is one of the most recognizable brands in the whole of the United Kingdom. With 2,000 stores, they have a presence on every single high street across the United Kingdom. They employ 6,000 people. And what you might not realize is 10% of those are prison leavers. One in nine of our colleagues is someone with prison experience. So that's 650 colleagues, something like that. I'm sure there are more. It's a remarkable statistic. And James explains to us how they actually teach people how best to rob them. There are ways of stealing money from us. So we might as well tell tell our colleagues this is how you you do it, so they know that we know. Timpson's was started in 1865 by shoemaker William Timpson and his brother-in-law Walter Joyce in Manchester. To give you an idea of the legacy Timpson's has in the UK, it was listed on the Stock Exchange in 1929. 150 years on, it has over 2,000 shops across the UK, with brands including Johnson's The Cleaners, Snappy Snaps, Jeeves of Belgravia, The Watch Lab and Flockins. Today I'll be talking to James Timpson in one of their flagship stores and chatting a bit about his new book, The Happy Index, which looks at upside down management. And we speak about the rules of success of a business that has seen itself go through two world wars, a pandemic, and the changing nature of the high street to create one of the most endearing brands in the United Kingdom. (laughs) You just know, when you've been in the business a long time, you just sort of know. You were saying it's really busy because it's wet. Yeah. How much do sales increase when it's wet? Well, it depends what time it's wet. So yeah. people leave work, so sorry, people leave home yeah. and they're sitting on the train and it's bright sunshine and they're coming over London Bridge yeah. and it starts chucking down with rain, we'll sell a lot of umbrellas. And then what happens to shoe players? When you look down here, there's loads of shoes down here. If you came here in the summer, you wouldn't have that at all Yeah. because in the summer, people wear much lighter shoes, but we want rain because it rots shoes and people wear heavier shoes. The perfect weather yeah. is actually, it snows in the morning. People grit the roads with salt and grit. Yeah, yeah. And then the snow goes by the afternoon. That's our perfect weather. But you'll never, you'll never, you'll never get a retailer saying they've had perfect weather. <laughs> perfect weather for a cobbler. Yeah, there's always something else that will be. Um, and, and you've just written this book, Happy Index. Um, and one of the things that you're most known for that you talk a lot about is employing um, offenders and so on. When did you first employ an offender? And how much of their workforce do they make up now? So to give you the facts, we've been employing people in prison for 22 years. 
one in nine of our colleagues is someone with prison experience. So that's 650 colleagues, something like that. But I'm sure there are more. You don't forget one in four adult men in the country have a criminal record more than a driving offence. Wow. So. I did not realise that. Yeah. So, you know, every street you walk around, every supermarket you shop in, there are people there, but they, but they haven't told their employers. Um, and it's worked really well for us because we've got loads of amazing people. Yeah. And. But when when did you first hire someone? When did you first think this is a good strategy for recruitment? This is a blind spot that everyone else is missing. Well, first one was luck. I went on a prison visit, yeah. and the young guy showed me around. It was, a, it was a young offender's prison at the time in Warrington. Young guy showed me around. Matthew thought he was brilliant, but he couldn't get a job when he was out. And so the phone's going. Couldn't get a job when he's out. And um, so I just thought his personality was fantastic. I thought he was a really nice guy. Nineteen years old. Never done anything wrong before. So I gave him a job yeah. when, when he left prison and he's still with us today. So I thought, go and get a few more Matthews. Made a lot of mistakes, worked out how to do it. it took me about three years to really suss it out. Yeah. Then I started opening up training academies in prison. And then I started helping other companies employ people from prison. And it went on from there. How did you find starting the training academies in prisons? Were they resistant at first or? It was bloody difficult. So the first one we did was Liverpool, which was a challenge in itself because Liverpool's always been a pretty tough jail. But I was lucky that the governor was really on board and it was his last governor post before he retired. So he, he wasn't too worried about getting told off. And he saw it as a way of to change the culture of the business. So Liverpool was the first one we did and that worked actually really well. And then I did Wandsworth, disaster, because the culture at Wandsworth, not for the people who live there, the people who work there, was just not helpful. And everything we, everything we try to do, barriers and barriers and barriers. So I ended up closing that one. And I opened up a photo one in a women's prison in, in near Wakefield. And that's, so now we have, um, we wind it on 15 years from when we first started opening up the academies. We've got three in Thorncross prison in Warrington. Yeah. Uh, and we've got um, two in women's prisons where we do the photo stuff. And then we've got one, which is an industrial unit down in Kent, where we bring people in on day release from all different prisons, men and women, to learn in our, in our basically mock-up shop and industrial, industrial estate. And what's the best thing about employing offenders they're good they want to work they're honest they're reliable and they get stuck in and they're not judged in our business yeah, we want people who are great serving customers are ambitious work hard and reliable and if you recruit the right people from prison that's what you find in the book you talk about the the test that you rank people on from one to ten in terms of whether they fit with the culture and you talk about the most difficult people actually being the sixes to eights like how do you distinguish between an eight and a nine? Because that seems like quite a fine line, but important one. You just sort of know. <laughs> you just know. When you've been in the business a long time, you just sort of know. This is your cobbler algorithm. Cobbler algorithm. Because our colleagues know that they only want to work alongside people who are as amazing as they are. Yeah. And, you know, when we ask our colleagues here today in the shop, um, they don't want to work with people who are unreliable, grumpy, um, a bit lazy. They want to work with people who are up for it. Yeah. And it's that sixth sense of what what is the energy that they're giving from their personality and you just know and i agree you know and, and someone who's an eight out of ten sometimes could be a ten out of ten but something's happened in their life that's yeah. a, a problem and it's our job to support them through that but a six out of ten is always a problem that's why you need an hr department <laughs> and you talk as well about the sort of things that it's often stuff that goes wrong in people's personal lives right and you've got some really interesting job titles to help people on those things can you talk to us about that well, um, just, I think language is really important in business. So we don't have a head office. We have Timpson house. Everyone's a colleague. Yeah. And when I introduced that probably, I don't know, 15 years ago, quite a lot of pushback because 
it was always staff. Um, some some people use the words team, but I was like, no, everyone's a colleague because no one's more important than anyone else. So then that's become a point. And then, so we have um, Janet, our director of happiness, yeah. whose job is to basically look after people who are unhappy. Uh, Paul and Lauren on reception are, are our director of smiles. All dogs in the office are directors of entertainment. Um, anybody can call themselves a director if they want it, don't really care. Um, you still retain the title chief executive though. Have you thought about changing that? I am, but I, I feel a bit uncomfortable. I, I know when um, I've mentioned it in the book, um, Elon Musk's FD is um, master of coin. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> it's quite funny. Um, but if I could think of something more interesting. I'd master of keys. Ma master of keys, yeah. Um, but then then my colleagues in the photo business and dry clean business wouldn't like that. <laughs> so it's about yeah, having something that's fun. Um, and what's... What what keeps you driven and keeps you determined to do these things? Because you've been doing it for 30 years, right? And it's a pretty staple business, um, cobblers, photos, keys, etc. What keeps you so driven? I think I'm competitive. Yeah. I still want to have the best shop in town. Yeah. And we don't have, you know, we have competitors who have better shops than we do some places. And I want to have the best people. So what I love is going into one of our shops and it being absolutely perfect. Standards are great. Collies are great. Figures are great. Customers are happy. And there's no better feeling in business than that. Yeah. And um, I also believe that businesses need to be on the front foot. You've always got to find a way of growing, whether it's you and your business who want to keep growing followers and, and reach. Yeah, yeah. Um, we want to do the same. And I think if you can't justify opening a new shop, you can't really justify having the business. So that's when you need to think what you're going to do. So as we're in a shop, what makes a good shop? Okay, so we're in Kings Road in London. This is um, one of our more profitable shops. It's probably a top 50 profitable shop. The rent's high. And how many shops have you got? 2,100. And the reason why this shop does well is it's been well run for a long time. Steve, the manager's on holiday at the moment. It's bloody good. Yeah. Um, it is, even though it's a quite a touristy area, most of our customers are local customers. Yeah. Um, so our nearest Timpson shop is in South Kensington and Victoria. So we don't have anything around here. We've got Fulham, we've got two, in, two over in Fulham. Um, this is a big key cutting business here. Yeah. Um, and that's really where the money is key cutting and watch repairs, high margin business. Um, shoe repairs is pretty good here. We do a bit on photo ID. So we do a bit on everything here, but this is this location's great. We're next to McDonald's. Yeah. We always do well next to McDonald's. I don't know why. Opposite, we've got Scribbler. We've got Marks and Spencer's just up the road. Um, we've got Sloan Square tube station not far away. There's lots of places you can go, drop something in, go away, pop to, get a Valentine's Day card. Yeah. Not saying anything, Mrs. Timson. <laughs> yeah. And and also the you know, the we would say there's a lot of chimneys here. You want chimneys, you want houses where people live. Yeah. Because that's what brings you the business. So so you know, we need to take a lot of money here because the rent's I think the rent's hundred grand a year here. Um, and we've had this shop for eighteen years. Yeah. So it takes about five years to get to, to build up the turnover in, in a shop. Um but yeah, no, it's, it's a great one. And it's got, it's got personality to it as well. So give us a breakdown. So the 100 grand, is that business rates? No, that's rent. rent. That's rent. That's rent. Right. So okay. business rates on, rates on top will be 50 grand. It's normally about 50, 55% of the rent. Yeah. There's no service charge to pay here. Um, but then you've got to pay lighting, um, telephone lines, and that kind of stuff. But there's, that's 150 grand fixed costs, right? It's before probably, you've even sold it's a key. probably 170 grand a year to open the door. Yeah. Right, and that's that requires a lot of keys to yeah, do. But that's so. very high rent for us. You know, we're normally yeah, okay, fine. Um, but yeah, I mean that's what it costs to trade in these really busy, busy, busy times. You talk a lot in the book about 
well, not a lot. You talk about competitors in the book and you say how you're driven for it. And I was trying to wrap my head thinking, well, who are the kind of like high street competitors to you? Is it mainly individual shops, yeah, well, right? I mean, we bought all of the chains yeah. over the years and we've opened up a, a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of competitors have gone bust. Yeah. Um, a lot of independents, you know, want their one shop. And then when they retire, they phone us up and we may buy it or not. A lot of the time we don't because the turnover is too small. Um, but we've opened a lot of shops in supermarkets. So, so whereas before we would have had, say, let's take Winchester. No, no, Winchester's bad. Let's take Chester. In Chester, we used to have three shops in the town center. Now we've got one, but I've got seven around Chester in the supermarkets and retail parks around. So really that's how the portfolio has changed. And from a competitor's point of view, um, they found it hard to keep up with us, I think. Tell us about your job and how long you've worked here. I've worked, uh, worked for Tibbs for 25 years since I was 16. So I'm now 42. Yeah. So I've been about I've been about a bit. And how's it changed since you started? Oh, when I started, we didn't even do watches. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So, obviously, since then, we've done a lot more. So, you know, like the uh, photos, like my colleague's doing now. Then there's jewelry repairs again. We yeah. had jewelry repairs before. It's you're doing a lot more of the valet stuff as well yeah. now. And it's great. We'll just give you a bit of time off for tills. Yeah. James is doing it all here at the, at the, at the moment. And how long does it take to learn how to cut a key? Well, it all depends on how well you could you you could do it in weeks if you're really really clever. Yeah. Or if you're not so Quite clever. Technical well, skill though, right? It's it's about knowing what pick uh, picking up what key it is and putting it in the machine and using the right blank for the right key. Because there's a number of times people do it in the wrong blanks and uh, it can be a bit confusing for them. Is a shoe easier to do? No shoes easy. Everything's difficult in some respect. And what else do they train you up on? Oh, I have to do mobile phone repairs. Yeah. Passport pictures. I didn't know you did mobile phone repairs. We don't do as many. Not as many. We don't do as many as we used to do. Why is that? People get people don't break them as much. Oh, right. And the insurance companies have worked out how to how to get in on it. Yeah, yeah. And how do you push though? Because I imagine people come in here for a very specific, I've lost my key or I need something doing specifically. Yeah. How do you sort of generate more sales? You offer a, a, an, an extra key or a, or a number of like three or four keys. You give them a half price deal yeah. on any of the, the, the products. So uh, instead of going for one, you can say, well, if you for an extra one, you get another one half price. We didn't think yeah. of that. So this job that Keith's doing, very kindly, rather than me doing it, is a customer's come in, I guess from it's a hotel or something or a guest house. Uh, yeah. And they want, um, they've got a hand sanitizer and a hand lotion, different uh, dispensers. And obviously people are getting confused as a problem. So they want a sign on, on one saying hand sanitizer, the other saying hand lotion. Ah, okay. So and you, and you serve them whilst I was chatting to Keith. Yeah. So job came in and I know we do the silver plaques. I know we've got a um, computer engraving machine here. I know Keith knows what he's doing on this. So it's actually quite a straightforward job. So we get a lot of funny jobs like this. Quite difficult to price up. You can't, you can't sort of. What's the most random job that you come across? Recently? It wouldn't be appropriate for a podcast. <laughs> Family podcast. So one of the, one of my fears in our business is that pe people will want to professionalise management, yeah, and will want to sort of go down the corporate bullshit line of doing everything proper, yeah, and yeah. you know HR departments rule. That's a disaster for us because. Our colleagues, you know, you met Keith today and you met AK and, uh, you know, you've been served by customer colleagues in the past. They're a certain type of person. They don't like to be run by a corporate head office. They like to be trusted to get on with it, do what they want. We look after them when things go wrong and they're trusted. 
But what fascinated me was in the book about you talk about feedback, how your employees can give feedback, colleagues can give feedback. I mean, it's basically a feedback loop, right? And what's the one question you asked? On a scale of one to 10, how happy are you with your boss? And how often do they fill that out? So they do one, they do one every week, yeah. which is how they are feeling themselves. And then, so that's on a Thursday night. Our average score is about 8.5 normally. Yeah. And then um, once a year, we do our, our annual survey, which is, again, it's just this one question on a scale of one to 10, how happy are you with your boss? Um, and that's like the big one yeah. for us. Only one question, if they want to write a comment, they can. If they want to write their name, they can. We have about an 80, 85% return rate, which is actually really important because the parts of the business where the leadership is weak also has the lowest number of responses. Yeah. So we want high levels of response, high scores. One of the things that you're quite keen on in the book is five days in the office. Why is that? Because culturally, it's really important to us. And also, the colleagues in the, in the office are there to support the colleagues in the shops. The colleagues in the shops have to turn up yeah. physically, and we need to be there at the end of the phone to answer their problems. Um, I also think as part of it, there needs to be a reason why they want to turn up. Yeah. So that's why we want the office to be amazing. And it, so there's no reason why they don't want to turn up. So as we have free breakfast, amazing lunches, cost price. We have a gym. We have They can bring their kids in, their dogs in. They can come and go when they please. They need to go to the dentist. They just go to the dentist. And it's a place where I've only had pushback from one colleague and there's 180 people who work there. So I said it, set my stall out right from the beginning. Yeah. Who's got the most interesting job at Tipsons, do you think? I think Janet, who's our director of happiness, has got a very interesting job um, because she never knows where she's going to be that week because her job is to deal with colleagues who are actually unhappy. Darren, who does all of our prison recruitment stuff, mm -hmm. he's got a very interesting job, although I gave him the toughest task ever, which I signed him up to do a, a, a a master's degree at Cambridge in criminology, which he's nearly halfway through. He's doing really well. Um, first essay was a bit of a shock. Yeah. Um, and I think our area managers is the job where, where if you're good at it, it's the most amazing job. If you struggle, it's brutal. Yeah. Because we've got everything coming at you all the time. But the area managers for us is the key job. And does a good shopkeeper necessarily make a good area manager? No, not at all. And... Um, how do you test for that, though? So what happens is, um, so we met Keith today. Mm. Uh, Keith is part of the area team. And so he's what we call an area development manager. And his, so what we want him to be ready to be an area manager one day. I don't think Keith wants to be an area manager one day. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think he does. I've known him for a long time, and that's not what he wants to do. Um, but the, we like to promote everybody from within the business. So we do huge amounts of succession planning to the extent that everyone tearing the hair out for another succession planning meeting. But that's, that's, why, that's how I sleep well at night, knowing that we've got amazing people lined up to take over the area manager job so people come up to the ranks. Yeah. But we're also very good at over-promoting people. I mean, you see that in politics all the time. Yeah. And, you know, it's not, it's not really necessarily their fault that they fail when they get into a job, but it's the people who appointed them. So you've got to sort of politely put them back to where they, where they were before. Yeah. So... There are 92 prisons that release people in England and Wales. And there was a problem that the governors of the prisons often had very few connections with local businesses who would take people on. And also, they just weren't commercial people. They're not commercial people. And that was one of the big barriers to helping people get jobs to develop this culture of employment in the prison. So 
So my idea around employment advisory boards was to get a local business person to work alongside the governor, recruit some local business people, ch chamber of commerce, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And they all work together to help develop a long-term culture of employment in the prison because governors move around and want this long-term culture to help prisoners get job ready. That's the nuts and bolts of, right, we need, a, we need an employment hub and we need access to the job sites and all that kind of stuff and get them CV, get them re ready for CVs yeah. and stuff. And then the last one is link them up with employees on release. So did a trial in the Northwest, basically tapped up my mates to chair these boards. They said, yes, got it going, worked out what the problems were along the way. Then we got the money to have a, a prison employment lead in every prison. Yeah. And an, a banking and identity administrator. Right. Okay. Tell people, get the driving licenses there. Um, all the documentation you need to really function now when you're released. And we've gone from 14% of people leaving prison, getting a job within six months, four years ago, to now 33%. Wow. So that it's been dramatic. Yeah. We've been helped by COVID, the employment situation in the country, but it's been dramatic. We've talked about the challenges in the high street. Do you think that you could be doing more, scaling more? You know, you were top 10 biggest paying taxpayer in the UK last year. Like, how do you think, okay, well, I could do, I could do even more. Well, what, what you, yeah, if you read the book, what you sort of see, there's still lots more we want to do. Yeah. And, um, you know, for example, we're growing our vending business. We're growing our photo online business. So basically order online, collect in store. That's a big growth for us. 80% yeah. of our online orders are collected in store. Our vending business, we're the biggest vending um, company in the country, our photo booths and okay. photo ID booths, key cutting, automated key cutting machines. So we want to go into Europe on that. We've got um, a ho we've got a hospitality business. We bought a couple of hotels in France. Yeah. We want to do more on that. So basically, there's no real sort of specific strategy. I'm opportunistic, but I believe you've got to keep growing. Yeah. And you know, we're we're a business that you know, we make we make really good money, but I want to invest that money back into the business. Our our general strategy on technology and new things is to be a follower, not a leader. Yeah. Always think always think that the leaders lose money, and I want them to someone can pay to work it out, and then we'll just come in behind and pick up, pick up the easy wins. Um, the way, the, the way I think it could help our business is, is sort of on improving service because a lot of our, a lot of our business is repetitive. So we went, when we're in our shop today, customer comes in wanting a key cut. It's actually a specialist knowledge that key. So we'd phone up the key center and ask the question. Yeah. Actually, that would be one. How do you do it? Bang, done. Well, the, the AI tools will, will, will tell us. I think there's a lot around. Um, I, I don't. I don't worry that people will be able to get their shoes repaired by robots in the middle of space. I'm not worried about that. Um, and I still think personal service will be valued. Which of the brands, British brands, do you admire that you think do a good job? I love Richer Sounds. Mm -hmm. I love Greg's. I think Greg's are fantastic. They're really on the front foot at the moment. You may not have heard of Albert Schloss. No. Um, the more northern business. Um, I'm quite a fan of family businesses. I like the sort of ethos of family businesses. You know, if you look abroad, you know, I love Southwest Airlines. Can you talk to us about Parkinson's Law? That was one of the most interesting bits of the book, I thought. So my dad told me about this book. And by Parkinson's, I think it's 1953 or 1958 or something. And he has these bizarre chapters, one of which is around how to host a great cocktail party. Um, you know, some of the language would would not pass any politically correct test at all now. But he worked out this mathematical formula based on how inefficient organizations become over time because of this inbuilt um, desire for people to 
to think they're so busy that they need to recruit some, some other people to help them. When actually the question should be, do we actually need to do it in the first place? And he gives an example of, you know, why do we have more admirals than we've got ships in the Navy? Because this is the same structure we had from World War I. You know, like, you know, we just opened a shop in Birmingham and I was, I was convinced it was going to be a really good one. It's a disaster. And then we opened another one in Congleton. I thought, no, it's not going to be good, that one. It's flying. So I'm still learning all the time. This is a phrase, entrepreneuritis, that he talks about. Entrepreneuritis. Entrepreneuritis, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And entrepreneuritis is this theory I have, which is people who found success in business think it's, they worry it's always going to go wrong. Yeah. So they want to cash their chips in, sell the business, and go and buy a house in Mallorca. Yeah. And then when they're sitting in the house in Mallorca, they're bored out of their minds and they start investing in businesses again because that's what they do. That's what they're good at. Um, so I never want to get to that stage where I don't want to do anything. Would you, you've mentioned Julian Mitchell a couple of times um, and what he did with his business, of course, was he made it employee-owned. Is that something that you would consider? Julian and I are in very different situations. Julian's got no kids. Yeah. Um, he's, um, he's got lots of other interests, business interests out of the business. Uh, and he's 15 years older than me. But it's a very tax-efficient way of you exiting a business. Right. Okay. So if you want to get out of your business, if you want to, to, to de-risk it and get some cash off the table, that is the best way to do it. Talk to us about holiday homes, because you've had this venture into hospitality, some of which has gone well, some of which has not gone well. But you've also made it now that one of the big benefits of working at Timson is that people can access holiday homes, right? Which is almost akin to the kind of initial Cadbury idea of the, of the beginning of the last century. Mm -hmm. So again, Nick uh, stole an idea from another company, and we've now got 19. And a lot of them are um, the um, lodges on Haven Holiday Parks and mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, our, we pay, we, so we buy them, and we pay for all the running costs. We pay um, for the benefit and kind when the colleagues go there. They just pay to get there and the food and drink when they're there. And they love it. It's fantastic. It's a, it's a great freebie. They go with their family and friends. It means a lot to them that they get this benefit. Um, the cost to us is probably half a million quid a year. Yeah. Money very well spent. I love the book. I thought it was brilliant. There was a bit in it. I thought, I'm just not sure I believe. Well, no. you say you've never had an argument with your dad. Never and had an argument. you work with your dad. But then never. Probably no. there must have been. But he was, my dad's amazing because he, but, you know, in the earlier days when I was learning everything, you know, and I hadn't done these things before, he was very much, well, if you want to try it, try it and see, see what happens. You'll learn. Yeah. And if it worked, great. And if it didn't, stop doing it. So, there's never, because you sit on the board together, there's never, there must be disagreements. I, I honestly cannot think of one disagreement. Yeah, we have, we're interested in different things in the business. We have different styles slightly mm. in the business. Um, but our values and our ambitions are completely aligned. You teach your colleagues how to rob you. Yeah. Why? So, one of the biggest issues in any retail business is theft, mostly from customers. In our business, it's not really anything to nick. So our yeah. biggest issue is colleagues. So we try and help them if they have financial problems. So don't take anything from the till. Come talk to us. We'll lend you money. We'll help you through all the various issues you've got, which most colleagues do really successfully. But there are ways of stealing money from us. And so we might as well tell, tell our colleagues, this is, how, this is how you do it. So they know that we know. Yeah. Um, and we find that a much better way of just, let's just be honest about it. This happens. Let's be grown up. We put secret cameras in. We go around doing till checks as most retailers do. But sometimes people end up having to go home and have that difficult conversation with a family that they've been fired. 
Yeah. So let's do everything we can to prevent that. 